What does motion sound like? With Kizik Hands Free Shoes, it sounds a little something like this. Experience the magic of motion. Get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com slash socks. The Fed overhiked because they panicked. They're still really restrictive because the growth rate of inflation has been falling faster than they thought. The 10-year yield will not wait for the Federal Reserve. They're just going to launch ahead and, and send bond yields lower, which means mortgage rates going to be lower. So you can get yourself an additional 560 to 800,000 total home sales with lower rates, but they got to stay lower for longer. Lower rates, better affordability, more home sales in 2024. Join us today as we walk through all of that and more with Logan Modishami, lead analyst from Housing Wire, as he breaks down his economic models to give you everything you need to know to buy right, borrow smart, and build wealth in the new year. This is the Educated Home Buyer. Everything you need to know to buy right, borrow smart, and build wealth through real estate ownership. Logan, we talk here all the time on the show that a lot of housing is simple econ 101. It is supply and demand. So almost everything that we're going to talk about today relates to either the supply of homes or how demand has been impacted. So we're armchair economists. So we like the fact that we have a real economist here to talk about all of this stuff today. But probably the biggest thing, the thing that's on everyone's mind over the last 60 days, what in October, we hit a little over 5% intraday day on the 10-year. We had, according to Mortgage News Daily, mortgage rates over 8%. And we've seen a big rundown, a percent in treasuries, almost a percent and a half in mortgage rates. What's going on there? And what is your take on that? We know you have a model where you track this and you had some expectations for the year. So how did that all jive with your model and what you thought was going to happen? Every single year, I do 10-year yield channels where I basically forecast where I think the 10-year yield should go in a range and then where mortgage rates should go with it. And four and a quarter was kind of my peak where I thought that'll be very acceptable as long as the economic data got better. And then what happened after July, the economic data outperformed. It outperformed everyone's expectation, even myself, who has been fighting the no recession camp and the Fed won't pivot. So the economy grew at 5%. The labor data got better in terms of jobless claims were were going back down. But then the Fed made a terrible mistake three meetings ago where they went very hawkish on their tone and bond traders were already above four and a quarter and they just ripped the market on them. Major selling, major shorting of the bond market. And we headed up to 5%, which we never needed to. And even the Fed presidents were like, oh, what's going on here? We don't understand because... Before that happened, the Fed was starting its groundwork for rate cuts in 2024, and then that event happened. But if you look at the history of economic cycles going back decades, when the market and the Fed believes that they're done, traditionally, every single time outside of maybe 1978, bond yields rally, yields go down, mortgage rates head lower. And this is just basically a byproduct of that. We're at 3.94%. We're, We're basically at the range we should be. So it was kind of an unnecessary move, but it was a lot of market dynamics were working at the same time. And now that the Fed is basically, I I believe they they realized they made a mistake. So they said, okay, listen, let's just go dovish. Let's not play with fire here because they're kind of in real restrictive policy. Mortgage rates rallied, bond yields rallied. It looks perfectly normal tied to every cycle we've had outside of the late 70s. Now, 
Interestingly enough, I, I saw a, a tweet yesterday by Matt Graham, MBS Live. He was on the podcast a week or two ago talking about rates. And you actually, I think, either commented it or retweeted his tweet. And it was very similar to what you just said, where Daly said, I'm not thinking about rate cuts at all right now. That was on November 30th. And then 18 days later, the same Fed member comes out and says three rate cuts could be needed in 2024 to avoid over-tightening. So is it normal in this type of environment for Fed members to change their tune in such a quick manner? I mean, three weeks is the, rather quick. The Fed overhiked, and they overhiked because they panicked toward the end of last year. This is actually one of my themes. Last year, I was our podcast, I was saying, who spiked the eggs fegnog? They're like really getting hawkish at the wrong time. So because they overhiked, this gave them room to cut rates. And even if they cut rates 75 basis points, let's just make up a story here. They cut rates tomorrow by 75 basis points. They're still really restrictive. And the reason they're really restrictive now is because the growth rate of inflation has been falling faster than they thought. And there's a lot of disinflation factors in that data line that's going to push the growth rates lower. So they overhiked on purpose because they panicked, and now they're trying to recalibrate the Fed funds rate and to 10-year yield because we got really restrictive when the 10-year yield got to 5%, and the Fed funds rate was still above 5%. So they needed to correct that, and that's why they changed the tune because a lot of the recent inflation data was really disinflation coming from a global pandemic, which is pretty normal. So they're just kind of get things back in line and getting back to a dual mandate. And they, they always talk, you know, here or there, there's good Fed cop, bad Fed cop. They overhiked. The bond market activity scared them. Even if they don't admit it, a lot of Fed presidents were like freaking out saying, we don't understand why bond yields are going up now because that makes their policy even more restrictive. So they needed to go dovish to make sure that doesn't happen again. And we're back in line to where the 10-year yield should be, but still, it's very restrictive policy even now. So if the economic data got weaker by the labor market, the bond market is just gonna roll right over them, right? So it doesn't matter, the rates will go down by itself. And then the Fed tries to play catch up to what the bond market is saying. But now I think everybody is kind of online that the rate hike cycle is over and Mortgage rates did what they basically do all the time at this point. The Fed is always going to be behind the curve just because how the institution works by meeting every 68 weeks. So they're trying to just talk people back down to reality because they messed up. They went hawkish, they overhiked, and now they're trying to just get things back in line. I think that concept of real rates is very confusing to the average consumer, the average home buyer. When they hear Fed cuts, they're saying, the, the economy is still strong. We still have inflation up over 3%. Why would the Fed cut? Nothing has broken yet. But that concept of Fed funds at five and a quarter to five and a half and inflation somewhere in the low threes, that's a 2% real rate there. And a lot of people are projecting that we're going to get close to the Fed's goal of 2% next year. So if we drop another percent, even as you said, a cut of one, one and a half percent from the Fed over the next 12 months, it's not really loosening. They're not getting any less restrictive. It's keeping things where they are. What is your expectation or, or thoughts going forward with the rate of inflation and what that means for real yields? 
So the growth of inflation should be slowing down because right now, just on the CPI side, it's artificially being held up by rent inflation, right? The history of global pandemics is it's very inflationary right off the bat, especially with rents. And then the disinflation happens. The disinflation is going to take a little bit more time to hit the real data. But the Fed knows this. If you actually look at shorter term inflation growth rate data, three to five months, we're already at 2% or two and a half percent. So the Fed's almost pretty much there on target, but the Fed funds rate is really high. So the labor market has always been the key in 2023, the labor market state firm. I think there's such egg on so many people's faces that said we needed a job loss recession to bring the growth rate of inflation down. And the fact that unemployment rate is at 3.7%, the economy grew above trend and the growth rate of inflation came down means the Fed messed up. They overhiked. They need to just correct that mistake and get back so we can make sure that the dual mandate, jobs and price stability stick together. We don't wait for the labor market to break, then cut because the growth rate already fell. So their model messed up for them. So they have to do a lot of correcting just to get back to something neutral. If the labor market broke, then they would be cutting rates because they want to make sure we don't lose an, uh, a lot of jobs. But as of right now, just think of it, they overhiked. They didn't need to overhike. The growth rate of inflation fell. The labor market was firm and the economy grew. Their model messed up. So they're trying to correct their mistakes. And as long as the labor data stays firm, they don't have to go any more aggressive. At least they don't want to. But we're in a much better spot now because the Fed realized they messed up. And now we could focus on 2024 knowing that we don't have to have these major hawkish statements or overhiking or anything, or we don't need to wait for the labor market to break and then the Fed starts cutting. So all that is over. That is very positive for the housing market. And we've already seen the impact on the forward-looking data that's turned positive the last five weeks. Now, speaking of models, you're a data guy, created your own models. And one of those models earlier this year was a high side of a four and a quarter on the 10-year. We know that 10-year got up over 5% briefly intraday with it back down, sitting currently under 4%, kind of back in line, I guess, with your model now. What is the model telling you for 2024? Because I know based on listening to Housing Wire and, yeah. and listening to you a couple times a week, we know that your model kind of ends in 2024. So what is that model telling you for, well, for this final year? Here's the interesting thing. The housing market changed on November 9th, 2022. And it was going to take a while for everybody to catch on. And that was based on the 10-year yield peaking at four and a quarter last year, and then bond yields going lower. However, we got to a level that I didn't think we could break. In fact, I have to relate to people. So I thought, what is one character that everyone could realize where you shall not pass. We're not going any lower than here because of the labor market. So I thought Gandalf the Great. So literally for the first few months of the year, I was just replaying Gandalf the Great. You're, we're not going below here until the labor market breaks. So to me, we still stay in a range between 3.21 to four and a quarter. But if jobless claims start to tick up higher, that 3.37 level, we tested it eight times. It is so rare to test the level eight times in, in a very short amount of time, but we did it. That's not going to break until we see the labor market get softer because global bond yields are higher. The growth rate inflation is higher than we saw in the previous decade. But to me, we still stay in that range, but labor market gets softer. Ten-year yield breaks that. We could get down to 2.72. If the spreads get better, that's uh, not only sub-6% mortgage rates, but sub-5% mortgage rates would be in play there if the spreads got better in that regards. We're not at that conversation yet, because even though the spreads are getting better right now, they're still very elevated. But 
That's where I'm looking for next year, that we still stick in that range, but we always keep an eye on the labor data because if the labor data starts to break, the 10-year yield will not wait for the Federal Reserve. They're just going to launch ahead and, and send bond yields lower, which means mortgage rates going to be lower and we still have over 157 million people working, right? I think one of the things that I saw that was wrong with COVID was uh, on April 7th, 2020, I wrote a COVID-19 recovery model saying we're going to recover in 2020. Guess what? Mortgage rates are going to go down. Housing will be back within six to eight weeks. People thought, well, there's 20 to 30 million people unemployed. There's 5 million in forbearance. How are people going to buy homes? I was like, look at the 133 million people behind me that are still working with 3% rates. They're not going to wait for these people, right? So if affordability gets better with rates going lower and if forward-looking data, purchase application data gets better, you just go with that. Demand could rise up. Now, we don't have the backdrop of COVID where affordability was great. But lower rates, higher demand has worked after 2010 every single time. So until that actually breaks, we just go with it. So in, if the economy does get to get weaker, housing will disproportionately benefit in that regards. Just like it disproportionately was hit negatively in 2022, we had 4 million jobs created, but mortgage rates shot up. So housing had the biggest home sale crash ever recorded in history. So since we're working from the lowest bar ever, Lower rates, higher demand, keep it simple. Sales can grow. In a very low environment still, you can still have sales grow. That's the thing I'm going to be focused on for next year is how does the economic data work with the 10-year yield? And can we get lower rates for longer instead of higher rates for longer? And with duration, God, you can get sales to rise. It's just that we keep on bouncing off these levels in a very violent way. And you know, rates got down to 6% and then they moved up to 8%. Higher rates impacted sales lower. We could get lower rates with duration. You got something to work with here. Kind of like what happened uh, with COVID-19. We just stayed lower for a very long part of time and sales rose. So that's the key to me for 2024 is how does the economy data affect the 10-year yield? And as soon as we get lower rates, demand will pick up. With the big move that we've seen over the last 60 days in interest rates, we have seen demand pick up, but demand from really low levels as measured by mortgage applications, either purchase or refi. Refis are really in the tank, but back to the 90s, levels that we haven't seen in 30 years. So what have we seen? Three, four, five weeks in a row. You talk about we need to see that for longer duration. How much longer do we have to see applications pick up before we believe that we've kind of put in a bottom in I don't think any of us expect that we're going back to those five, six million sales annual rate anytime soon. But again, what is your model showing you in terms of what we can expect for applications and sales? So we had 12 weeks of positive trending application data last November, all the way to the first week of January. That gave us one of the biggest month-to-month -month sales prints ever recorded in history. We went from 4 million to 4.55 million. Okay, that's very abnormal. We have very abnormal housing data anyway. That's just 12 to four weeks. If we can get one year of just lower rates, staying lower for a longer period of time, you can get existing home sales, have some monthly sale prints at 4.72. That's my first target level because the affordability is still an issue as always. But when you think of housing demand, think of the total buyer profile. So that's first time home buyers, move down buyers, move up buyers, cash buyers, investors. You put them all together. Even this year, total home sales, not existing, but total home sales are going to be near 5 million. So you can get yourself an additional 500 to 800,000 
more total home sales with lower rates, but they've got to stay lower for longer. They can't be bouncing up, especially from six to 8% or six to 7%. They need to stay lower for the duration. And that's traditionally what's happened in housing cycles. Whenever there's a recession or data gets weaker, mortgage rates go lower. They usually go 2% lower in the next cycle and demand picks up. So for next year, that's where I'm focusing at 4.72 monthly sales we should be able to get there at one point of the year if we get mortgage rates 6% and below, because even that mortgage rates from 7.37 to 5.99 gave us that one big print. We have a lot of people working, 157 million people working, over 335 million. We have the biggest housing demographic patch. It doesn't take much to move the needle from here. We're working from the lowest levels of sales, I would argue, ever, considering where the workforce is right now. So it doesn't take much to move the needle. Look at the new home sales. It's growing double digits year over year because they're living in a sub 6% world and they have more expensive homes. Imagine a existing home sales market with the massive buyer profile in a sub 6% mortgage world. You're going to get sales back up there. So that's kind of where I'm focusing at. But again, we need rates to keep on going lower and staying there. Logan, for the better part of three years, I've been arguing with Crash Bros Online, talking about supply and demand, how everything comes back to supply and demand. Now, you're known for saying that lower rates don't necessarily mean more inventory coming to the market. Can you explain that? And then also explain how, how do we get more inventory? If lower rates aren't going to lead to more inventory and builders are essentially behind on building, the cost to build is exorbitant in, in most areas. In California, I think it's nearly $100,000 just to break ground for new construction. How do you add enough inventory to keep up with demographics, with just everything in, in order to get affordability back in line to get house prices somewhat stable, that sort of thing. So the term I use for this housing market is savagely unhealthy because what's occurred is people forget this at the start of the century, inventory was rising with home sales. Back then the credit markets allowed everyone, whoever listed their homes could buy another home. So there was no restriction. So just to give you some numbers, the National Association of Realtors, we had 2 million active listings in the year 2000. It went all the way up to 2.5 million in 2005. Sales were booming back then. Credit was booming. So you can have inventory growth with sales growing, but it needed a credit market to facilitate buyers and sellers. Remember, 75 to 82% of all sellers are buyers. If you get more buyers back then, you could get more sellers. We were building a lot back then. Then after 2008, we had this major spike in inventory from 2005 to 2007. Active inventory went from two and a half million to four million. Four million was the peak in 2007. And from that point on, we've been in a long downtrend all the way to the low points in uh, 2022. So after 2010, the entire U.S. housing market changed. The entire U.S. economy changed. With Qualified mortgage basically means everybody that lists their home has to qualify for a house. So sellers are buyers. Right. So you don't really get too much inventory growth in that regard. But there's one sector of our economy that doesn't provide a house when they buy. And that's first time home buyers. So the millennials started to buy homes in 2013. So when you look at the data, purchase application data was rising from 2014 all the way up to 2020. Total active listings were slowly falling. Right. So you do the math. Most sellers are buyers. You know, inventory is a wash. Then you got the first time home buyers taking the demand away. You got cash buyers, investors. But then comes 2020, 2021 inventory broke to the lowest levels ever recorded history. We had too many people chasing too few homes and then prices escalated out of control. Then mortgage rates escalated out of control. However, this time around, 
30-year fixed mortgage, best hedge against inflation on planet Earth was an American 30-year fixed mortgage, right? Your debt cost stays the same. Your wages rise more during inflation. Your home became the best financial and economic asset on planet Earth. And only America really has a system to where a majority of the loans are 30-year fixed products. So people don't sell to be homeless. And because everyone has to afford, it's really hard to get inventory to grow unless you get weakness in demand and days on market growing. So what's occurred in America is that back in 2011, we had 105 days to close a transaction. Demand was weak. We had a lot of inventory. Even with the biggest home sale crash ever recorded in history in 2022, total days on market got up to 30 days or 30, 34 days at, at worst. We're under 30 days now. We sell homes a lot faster now than we did 10, 15, 20 years ago. We do loan transactions much faster. We close deals in seven to nine business days now. So when somebody lists their house and then somebody puts an offer, they're in contract, they buy another house as well. That doesn't allow inventory to grow. So the only time we've ever seen inventory grow in this country is rates go higher, weakness in demand, days on markets grow, inventory can accumulate that way. What the builders do is that they build homes, they give you a contract, and then you move into that house. Right. Everywhere I go speak in the country, I go, does anybody know how many new homes are available for sale? Nobody knows the answer. And then I say, it's only 76,000. And that's pretty normal. The builders never provide a lot of unoccupied housing units because it goes against their business models. Their profit margins would sink. Right. And they can't make money. I would say they're not right. the March of Dimes. They're here to make money. So in this context, you're not going to get enough inventory for them. They're going to manage their supply right now. So as of right now, the only thing we see is weakness in demand, days on markets grow. We saw that in 2022, inventory did grow. We saw inventory pick up this year a little bit faster than normal when rates got up higher. But even with mortgage rates getting up to 8% this year, price cut percentages were 4% below 2022 levels. The growth rate of inventory from the weekly data, I was expecting maybe 11 to 17,000 weekly active. That's not that much. With 8% rates, we should have got there. Never happened one time. People are just doing really well in their homes. And if you don't qualify for homes, you don't list that house because you don't sell to be homeless. So it's very hard for the last you know, 12 years to really grow active listings. Sellers or buyers, when rates go down, you could get sales to rise. But every time rates fall, we've always seen inventory stay flat or grow lower. We've never actually seen inventory grow like we saw at the beginning part of the century and I say that the way I explain it is credit channels run inventory channels. Everyone's legit now. So if you can't afford a house, you're not listing your house and people are living in their homes longer and longer. A good example from 1985 to 2007, people lived in their homes five to seven years from 2008 to 2023, depending on who you listen to, it's 11 to 13 years in some parts of the country, 15 to 18 years. I've lived in my home for 20 years, right? So people don't move as much as well. The baby boomers are living in their homes until they're dead. Right By the end of this decade, a lot of them will pass away. They'll give their homes off to their children. What the children do is something we're just speculating at this point. But as of right now, it's just very difficult. And now that we have a really good 10 to 12 years of data to show this, that's one of the reasons, at least I think the main reason why it's very hard to get active inventory to grow when demand is stable or rising because most sellers or buyers and first-time home buyers come in, they take that inventory off because they finance 90% plus of their uh, home purchases. Where somebody ages 58 and up, less than 50% of those buyers actually finance their home purchases. 
Want continued access to all of Logan's insights, plus unlimited access to breaking news and industry stories to help you win the market? Subscribe to Housing Wire for just $30 a month and get access to the full picture. Go to housingwire.com forward slash membership to subscribe. I think one of the things that the crash bros missed is they just look at the fundamentals saying income to home prices, any number of things. And they go, this has to mean revert. But if you look back, California is a cyclical real estate market. We've had at least three uh, downturns that you would categorize as a crash. And if you look at those, anywhere from 20 to 70% of the homes in the multiple listing service were distressed properties, bank-owned properties. Banks aren't in the business of owning homes. They want those off the books and will liquidate them at whatever cost. I don't, Jeb doesn't, but do you see any recipe for a volume of distressed homes that would get to 20 to 40% of the supply of homes in the MLS that would lead to prices coming down? Let's be clear with the housing crash or how they call it the bubble boys. These are all what I call anti-central bank people. They hate the Federal Reserve. They hate living after 1913. They're always 24-7 bearish. I've documented this for 12 years. You know, I have a whole list of every single year for 12 years. I said, you guys are going to do the broken clock theory. You're going to be the first group of people that are going to be wrong for so long that a broken clock has more economic gain than them. And it was I true. They did it. These people are professional grifters. None of these people are data people. Actually, my whole game plan last year was to get every one of them on a live debate and then just tear them apart piece by piece because they don't forecast. They keep on talking about mean reversions. That's what stock traders do, right? The case shiller index and home buyers, home sellers don't go, oh, the 200-day moving average just broke. Honey, let's sell our homes, wait, rent for four years, and then we'll buy back that house again. This is why I say you have to be skeptical of every middle-aged man stock trader talking about housing because they talk about reversion to the mean, except what happened in 2005 to 2008 was an anomaly in the data line. This is why I always like to show all the credit data and inventory data going back to 1982. Inventory has always been stable for decades outside of one period. That was when people were filing for foreclosures, bankruptcies in 2005, six, seven, eight, then the job loss recession happened. None of that has been happening for 13 years. And this is why I always focus. Reading is a good thing. The history of human civilization has taught us those that read that have an advantage over those who don't. Their credit data has never looked better in the history of America for homeowners. So these group of people were going to be the crazy people that were going to sell their homes to be homeless or sell their homes to pay for a higher cost of shelter, right? So the whole foundation of the massive inventory and distressed sales was wrong for a very long time. They went in on COVID. Then they doubled down on forbearance. So I created the term forbearance crash bros in September of 2020. Then they thought the biggest home sale crash ever in history would create a massive amount of inventory. They don't have any training on credit. So that, that didn't work either. And then in 2023, they just went all in because they said prices follow volumes. So we had the biggest home sale crash ever. So prices have to crash in 2023. None of them realized that on November 9th, the housing dynamic changed. So I create videos to like teach them, what do you need to see? And the problem was new listings data. So here at all, uh, Housing Wire, we have Altos Research. We create these weekly models to show people. You cannot have a surge of inventory when new listings data was trending at the lowest levels ever recorded in the history of America in 2021, 2022. Then when mortgage rates went above 6%, we created a brand new low. For 17 months, the new listings data was trending at the lowest levels ever recorded history, and they don't read.
So that was their premise that a magical mythical ghost house was going to come to the market and sell itself. And then the Airbnb crash was going to come in a nothing. If you have a surge in inventory, you will see it in the new listings data. And since we have the data updated weekly, every Friday night, we do these trackers Saturday morning, we'll let you know, but they do not have the training. They don't have the data or they don't forecast anything. Like I always say, can I read your forecast for the last five or seven years? Oh, we don't do that. Of course you don't. You have no working models. So to have a major inventory escalation, the new listings data would have to take off. And then we'd have to see credit stress really fall for that. That will typically occur in old late cycle lending risks. That means you need a job loss recession first, right? So let's just assume two to two and a half million people lose their jobs. 50% of them will be those who've never finished high school, right? Not homeowners. So you have a very smaller pool of people because the credit stress data looks perfectly good, normal. So you just follow those data lines. And once they flip, God, we can see this thing so fast because we're working from the lowest levels ever. 30 days, 60 day, 90 day, 120 day late are all trending at the lowest levels ever recorded history. Those things were taking off before the job loss recession in 2008. So when we think of foreclosure supply, think of it in this way. It's going to take minimum nine to 18 months for that supply to even hit the market. Back in 2007, we already had a massive supply before the recession started. So now it's a 2025, 2026, maybe even 2027 story, depending on when the recession started. So the whole dynamic shifted on them and they keep on thinking people sell their homes to be homeless. Really positive cash flow uh, households will sell their homes to be homeless. And I always say, you can't do that because if you have kids, your kids are going to be on the streets. The cops are going to arrest you, take your kids away. Normal people don't do this. Stock traders think like this. Ignore that group, follow the data. If the data gets really bad, we'll see it. We can't miss it, right? We're the ones telling Goldman Sachs and Lehman Brothers, guess what's happening in 2006 and seven? This data line's breaking. Lehman didn't listen, Goldman did. Goldman made money, Lehman went out of business, right? We have the data to, to teach people how to read forward-looking data, and that's why the tracker was created in 2023, so everybody could be on the same page. And I know it's somewhat working because the last three or four weeks, the housing crash people have left me alone because they know better now, but they're starting to read the data, and it's just we're not there yet. We'll see escalation in inventory in the new listings data than active inventory growth, but it's just not here. We're nowhere close to it. I mean, I mean, for our data line in March of 2022, single family listings across the country, the naked listings that are raw data for sale got down to 240,000. That was it. This was their crash theory. 240,000 single family homes were available for sale. And that was going to create the biggest home sales price crash in history. It doesn't work that way. It's never worked that way since the Peloponnesian War. Major home nope. price crashes nationally need major inventory, distress sales, sales to go down, everything. And on November 9th of 2022, the market dynamics shifted and it took them six to seven months to realize that. And then by the time now, they, they're deer in the headlights. So there are proper models to use, but you're going to need to see new listings data increase, active inventory increase. And the key here is price cut percentages nationally have to increase. What I realized not a lot of people knew is that one third of all homes have a price cut all year round. Right. So you have these professional grifters showing these price cuts on Redfin and Zillow, and they think it's some one third of all homes always have price cuts. The price cut percentage was always 4% below 2022 levels the entire time. So people don't understand why did home prices get back to all time high? McFly, hello. It was right there in the data. 
you're gonna have to read, right? So the tracker was created to get people on the same page of live weekly data. Forecasts are somewhat useless in this environment where things can move. I mean, think about right now, everybody's 2024 mortgage rate forecast has just blown up within the last few weeks, right? Just because of the massive move. Things move so fast now that you have to be able to track this stuff weekly or else you're gonna get lost. And that's just the reality of the world we live in. Things move more fast. The last decade wasn't that difficult really because things were much slower. Here, you don't have that luxury. You have to be with the data daily, weekly, and go with it. And our models look out 30 to 90 days. They do not wait for old, stale, existing home sales reports, right? We look out forward so everybody could realize when the market shifts, you go with it, both positive and negative, and the market made some really positive shifts. And by six or seven months later, by June or July, people just then realized, why aren't home prices crashing? Prices always follow volumes. We had the biggest home sale crash ever. It didn't work, right? Inventory is too low. There's no distressed sales. Homeowners are in a really good spot. Sales stabilized, right? I think this is another thing that I saw. The lack of experience of tracking housing data hurt people because hardly anybody knew that existing home sales really, it's rare to break under 4 million. Right, there's always this four million core buyer that we've had since 1996. No matter where home prices are, or no matter rates are, they're always there. So sales stopped crashing after November 9th, and then you're just working with a very small pool of, of inventory. That was one of the bigger reasons why prices didn't follow volume crashing. Demand stopped crashing, inventory stabilized, price cut percentages fall. So we're just working from a very low base right now. Now that rates have gone lower and demand has gone forward, just follow the forward-looking data and just go with it. If it goes negative, it goes negative. But if it stays positive, don't make the same mistake everybody made last November, December, and just go price crash first and then wait six, seven months later and go, what happened? We have the data, we have the ability to read, and then we can just go with the forward-looking data. I have one final question for you, Logan. With the idea that mortgage rates are moving lower, purchase application data is going to pick up and any seller that lists their house is likely a buyer of another house. What is your thoughts on home prices for 2024? If everything is staying the same, it's going to stay the same in 2024 like it did in 2023, right? Inventory is too low. So rising demand and stable inventory, it's not synonymous with price declines. You need demand to fall in rising inventory and rising price cut percentages. So right now what's occurred is Demand's rising. It's too early to hit the sales data, right? We're looking February, March before it hits it. As long as this forward-looking data goes, prices increase because demand is too low. When we see prices decline, like we saw in the second half of 2022, we actually saw authentic month-to-month declines in prices, right? Guess what happened? Inventory skyrocketed. Price cut percentages went up, right? Demand fell. Very simple. Supply and demand economics. Don't make it any more complicated. Don't do reversion to the means or any of that stuff. You need increase in inventory, decrease in demand, and higher price cut percentages to get the monthly price declines. So far, we have not seen anything out of the norm after November 9th. And this is why prices got back to all-time highs very quickly. So if this continues, right, you go with it. And when the data turns, something happens. Let's say a really bad recession happened really quick and inventory scaled out of control. We'll catch it in the new listings. We'll catch it in the inventory data. We'll catch it in the price. But as of right now, everything is kind of stable. And we just go into 2024 like that. It would, it's almost basically like a carbon reprint of 2023. But we always know something crazy happens every single year, 
right? But this is not like the cycles before. So we need to keep eye of the weekly data, but if everything stays the same, it's really a carbon composite of what happened at the start of November in 2022. So we track the data religiously to give everyone an idea. As long as this trend continues, it'll be a positive. When jobless claims break over 323,000 on the four week moving average, that's my recession line right there. But until that happens, we don't use the R word. Every recession call failed once again in 2023. So we wait to see what the labor market does. And if that labor market breaks and rates go even lower, just remember we have a hundred million people still working, right? If rates follow, that's disproportionately benefiting housing. So we just really need to focus on the data at that point. But until that happens, we just stay the course right now. The market has obviously changed from 8% mortgage rates down to nearly six and a half. And of course, a lot of people are getting lower rates than what is being quoted out there as well. I know Jeb said last question. Let me throw one more in here. I'd love for you to comment on this. Your model for that 2020 to 2025 timeframe was we're good and prices will appreciate as long as we don't get more than I think 24, 25% appreciation. That all came at the front end of the window in 2020 and 2021. And that's where you have this idea of the savagely unhealthy market. What do we tell people who were not old enough, not established enough, and didn't get in in that 2020-2021 window, what advice, guidance do we have for the folks that are wanting to get in and seeing a difficult, unaffordable market? Well, because of qualified mortgage, if you can't afford a house, you're not getting in. I mean, you basically have to go to your mortgage person and get qualified first. Whenever somebody asks me if they should buy a house, I have the same answer. I go, no, you should never buy the house. The fact that you as an adult are asking me if you should buy a house means you're not ready. Right? The 30-year fixed mortgage is very, it's a very simple product. You buy a home, your debt cost is fixed. No matter how old you are, if you're still working, your wages rise. That was always the benefit of the U.S. housing market. If you don't feel like you're ready, don't do it. Millions and millions of people buy homes every single year. They bought in 2008, they bought in COVID, they're buying last year because they're ready financially. Right? So regardless of what you and I think, Millions of people are going to buy homes because that's been the data line that we've seen for decades and decades. We just have a lot of younger people right now competing with Gen X and baby boomers. So the massive workforce and all the generations are working together to buy a very small limited product inventory. And it sucks. I wish it wasn't the case, but we had the most savagely unhealthy because we had too many people chasing too few homes. And if rates go lower and you have to go against other people, it's not a good thing, but that's the market we're dealing with. And if you're asking me, I'm telling you, don't do it because you're not ready. Because that person and that person, they're going to do it because they're ready. They know their financials better. I don't know who you are. I don't know your financials. But all I know is that we have four to five million home buyers, most likely next year, easily with new and existing home sales. Those people are ready. If you're not ready, don't worry about it. Renting is nothing wrong with renting, but home buyers are going to be part of the mix just because of the unbelievable massive workforce that we have. Remember, the millennials and Gen Z combined are bigger than the total population in Japan, right? So we have a lot of replacement workers and consumers. That's the benefit the United States of America has over, let's say, China, Japan, and, and Europe. Uh, so people have to move on. It's the same thing I've always said for the last 13 years. We're not complicated people. We rent, we date, we mate, we get married. Three and a half years after marriage, we have kids. People that make money typically buy single family homes. They don't live in apartments. This has worked for decades and decades. We get married a little bit longer th th than we used to. So things in the 30s become a very important. This decade has a lot of people ages 30 to 39, which is a little bit different than we had in the uh, previous decade.
Logan, I want to say thank you for being here. If you guys want to follow Logan, you can do so on Instagram, but he mentioned a lot of charts in here, a lot of models that he's created, basically following the data, right? Reading. You can do that by going to Housing Wire, checking out the information there, following Logan. We'll put all the contacts in the description below. But with that, Logan, is there anything you want to leave us with today? So we, we created a tracker article that comes out every weekend, and it basically puts the forward-looking model for everybody to read and look out 30 to 90 days. We have a, a top five business podcast in America for Housing Wire Daily, and we talk about things twice a week just to give everybody an idea. I don't care if you sell mortgage or sell house or anything. My job is just to do the economic work, right? So the podcast is designed to keep everyone updated as much as possible. I always say economics done right should be very boring. Be the detective, not the troll, but I try to make it as entertaining as possible because I know this is a boring subject and my economic friends have been really boring and talking about this. So I'll try to keep it as lively as I can, but we focus on the data, not a speculative theory. No, and it's good stuff. So if you're not listening to it, you need to go do that. But until next time, guys, buy right, borrow smart, build wealth. Adios. Amigos. Thanks for listening to The Educated Home Buyer. Want to connect with us or to a local expert in your area? Please reach out at theeducatedhomebuyer.com slash expert. If you found any value today, please be sure to rate and review us on your favorite podcast platform. In addition, we ask that you share it with your friends and subscribe to us on YouTube. And make sure to follow us on social media. Thanks again for listening.